Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. improving the fatigue resistance to ensure that that muscle, as long as you're awake and you're upright, you don't need your soleus muscle if you're lying down. But if you're sitting or standing, you need that soleus muscle. And if you're upright for 16 hours a day, that muscle has to contract for 16 hours a day. And if not, your legs are gonna start to swell, you're gonna develop varicose veins, you're gonna develop joint pain, all this fluid is going down into your legs. And correspondingly, because all that fluid's in your legs, it's not getting back to your heart, and it's not getting up to your brain. And so you're gonna start over time developing what we call cognitive aging. Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan, your host for Horsepower to Hyperloops. And that was GMI alum, Dr. Ken McLeod, CEO of Synostics Inc. in Binghamton, New York, talking about the importance of stimulating the soleus muscle, also known as the second heart, in your calf. The soleus is responsible for pumping all the blood circulated to your legs back up to your heart. And Dr. McLeod's invention, the Heart Partner, produced by Synostics, is designed to assist the soleus in its work. Dr. McLeod, Professor Emeritus of System Science and Industrial Engineering at Binghamton University at the State University of New York, is one of the most prolific inventors in GMI and Kettering history. He spoke with us last year about his concept to eliminate traffic worldwide with a boat-plane-car hybrid known as the Terraplane. Dr. McLeod is the first person we have had the pleasure of having as a guest twice on Horsepower to Hyperloops. Dr. Ken McLeod, thank you very much for joining us today on Horsepower to Hyperloops. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast again. I really enjoyed the last time. I'm looking forward to this. Well, as a serial entrepreneur, and uh, you're the first individual that has uh, appeared twice, and earlier we talked about the Terraplane, which is a fantastically interesting operation. won't go into it here, but we'll uh, point people to an earlier podcast, but it could solve the traffic problems all over the world. But that's another topic. Today, we're talking about something entirely different, another one of your companies. And what we want to address is the soleus, which uh, has often been called the second heart and helps a great deal with cognitive aging and Alzheimer's and and, uh, uh, things like that. So tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to learn how we got to this point. Okay, well, let me just backtrack a little bit. While Terraplane really is about transportation and improving the speed of transportation, inner city transportation, my whole career has been focused on um, healthcare. And when we talk about auto transportation, we're talking some 40,000 deaths a year. We're talking about a tremendous amount of trauma, hundreds of thousands of people seriously injured. So a lot of my focus is on reducing the death and injury rate associated with moving around the country. So these two topics, while on the surface looking entirely different, aren't really that different because they're about how people live their lives and their health and improving their health and improving all that stuff. Very much so. So getting back to the soleus muscle, the soleus muscles are 
uh, specialized muscles in the calf of your leg, and they are called the second hearts, and they are responsible for uh, pumping fluids from your lower body back up to your cardiac muscle, the thing we think of as our heart. But we are upright creatures. You're sitting, I'm sitting, and gravity is operating on the fluid in our body, the blood, the interstitial fluid, pulling it down into our legs. And if we didn't have, going back to an auto industry example, um, a sump pump, basically, to pump those fluids back up to the heart, the heart would have nothing to pump out and there would be no blood flow and we'd all be lying on the ground. So they are really a critical muscle and they have a configuration not unlike a heart. They have very large vessels, openings inside. And as they contract, they contract very slowly. Most people cannot feel their soleus muscles contracting. But as you're sitting there, your muscle is slowly contracting. It takes about a minute to contract and then it relaxes and it relaxes for a minute or two, refills with fluid and then it contracts again. And it keeps bringing fluids back up to your heart so that we can maintain cardiac output. And that cardiac output, of course, goes to all tissues in your body. It provides both the oxygenated blood as well as nutrients to all tissues of your body. Your brain takes a huge chunk of that. Your heart puts out about five liters a minute of blood 20% of that, about a liter a minute, goes to your brain, even though your brain's a pretty small organ. And we need to maintain that. And as you pool fluid and cardiac output drops, blood flow to the brain drops. And then you start developing a number of cognitive issues, memory loss, executive function loss. It can affect your hearing, your vision, everything connected to your brain. So motor coordination. And so that is where synostics is focus. We actually refer to our product as a pacemaker uh, for the second hearts and that it helps retrain your soleus muscles, which tend to degrade over time. I mean, children keep their muscles in pretty good shape because the best exercise for your soleus muscles is to squat. Our ancestors, you and I are sitting in chairs, but our ancestors would never be sitting in a chair. You go back to the Stone Age, we'd be squatting. In fact, if you watch a National Geographic special focused on a country in Southeast Asia, you'll still see lots of people squatting, listening to a speaker, watching a movie, just talking, eating dinner. Squatting is the natural human resting position. But I bet it's been quite a few years before you've squatted, since you've squatted. Except in the gym, yeah, that's true, because I've, I've traveled a great deal and I go to, I, I don't want to say third world countries, but maybe Asia or whatever. Yeah. And I, and you look around and people are resting like I would stand or lean on something or, or find a chair or a wall. They just sit down and squat That's and correct. they're just completely comfortable. I'm not. And I guess a lot of people in this culture aren't because we haven't been doing it. Our, all Done it. We were children, right? So squatting is great. Toe standing is great. But you need to do it for several hours a day to keep your soleus in shape. And people just aren't going to squat for two or three yeah, hours. That, that's not going to happen with me. I'm not no. squatting for two or three hours. So <laughs> I need something to get that soleus muscle pumping, right? You, you do. And that's exactly what Synostics does. It develops technology to allow you to be, do, essentially do the equivalent of squatting for several hours a day without having to squat several hours a day. And so that's really our focus, is developing convenient, inexpensive technology that helps people maintain their soleus muscle. And maintaining your soleus muscle isn't like maintaining your biceps. I mean, this is not 
you know, something, you know, do three reps of 10 curls type of thing. The soleus muscle is a deep postural muscle. Think of it more like your neck muscles. And how do you maintain your neck muscles? Well, you get up in the morning and you pick your head up and you hold your head up all day. I mean, you don't lift weights with your head, but you hold your head up for 16 hours a day. And then you go back to sleep and you rest your neck muscles. So postural muscles need long duration, low level exercise, basically. And so that's what you need to be doing. And so you need a convenient way to achieve that. And, well, and that's what we're trying to do. And basically. Yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the technology. Okay. Okay. You got me convinced. I want to get one. I get one. We'll talk about all that part of it. But what's it look like? How do I use it? Where does it go? Obviously, it goes on my legs, but tell me about that part. Okay. So interesting enough, and, and the, the unique development, the innovation, I suppose, in our technology is that um, we have uncovered a reflex loop that begins in the sole of your foot. And so we can stimulate the sole of the foot, which triggers a reflex arc, which causes the soleus muscle to contract. And so that's the, the fundamental technology. We started out using a very low level vibration to activate what are called mechanoreceptors on the sole of the foot, Meissner corpuscles specifically. But uh, we've transitioned over into a modulation of what of the plantar nerve is the main nerve in the sole of the foot. And so by activating the modulating the plantar nerve, we can get that soleus muscle to contract the pacing pattern that we want. And over time, retrain, quotes around the word retrain, because it's not that we're making the soleus stronger, we're making the soleus more fatigue resistant, because that's the important thing. The soleus doesn't have to work for seconds or, or minutes. It has to be able to work for hours a day. And so it has to have great fatigue resistance. So you think of Thanksgiving and there's white meat and red meat on your turkey. And some people love the white, some people love the red, some people like both. But the bottom line is the soleus muscle should be red meat. And if you don't use your soleus, it turns into white meat. And so by activating it in a proper pattern, you can convert those white muscle fibers back into being red muscle fibers. And that's really what we're doing. So when we're talking about retraining, we're talking about a muscle fiber conversion process. I know that I think a lot of people know the plantar from the plantar fasciitis, which a lot right. of us suffer with. So what's the machine look like and, and how do I use it? So the machine is a floor-based device. It's line, current versions, line powered. You plug it in, it sits on the floor in front of you and you put the front of your feet on this device and that you have the mechanical device that will vibrate the sole of your foot. If you have the electromagnetic, it creates an, induces an electric field into the sole of your feet that activates the nerve and that triggers a reflex arc, which causes the soleus muscle to contract. So you just have to sit there. You can wear your shoes, socks, you know, um, slippers, it doesn't matter. Settle your feet onto the device and then you can go on and do whatever you want to do. Watch television, work on the computer, talk on the phone. So it's really, from the user's point of view, completely passive and easy to do. I mean, sitting for three hours, the average working person sits for 13 hours a day. The average retired person who doesn't have to be at a desk um, sits for nine hours a day. So people, you know, sitting for two to three hours a day is not a hurdle for most people. So um, how long, really, nine hours a day, the average retired person sits? Yes, because they're a little more active than the average working person. I mean, an office worker. So an office worker is, you know, sitting for meals, sitting, driving a car, sitting at work, sitting at meetings. We sit a lot. 
actively employed people amazingly. Yeah, I would have thought the other way, but no. How long do I, and you probably said this, how long do I need to use it each day? We have found that about two to three hours a day seems to be optimal. It will train up your, you know, do this fiber conversion process over a period of a couple of months. And then after that, you're just maintaining those muscle fibers. Well, it, I guess we're not, it will reverse any damage to some extent by just like any exercise, it improves and strengthens uh, the muscle. So am I correct? Well, it's not really strengthening like a typical exercise you would think of where you're trying to, you're taking what are called type two or white muscle fiber, and you're trying to make it bigger and stronger. Right. We're, we're not trying to do that. We're turning white fibers into red fibers. And so they're not going to get bigger. It's not like your calf is going to bulk up. They're not getting stronger. In fact, if anything, maybe they're getting weaker, but you're building up fatigue resistance. You're going from a muscle that will tire out in minutes to a muscle that can track continuously for hours. Young people, you know, soldiers can stand at attention for 12 hours. You and I tried to stand for 12 hours, we'd pass out probably. And that's because our soleus is fatiguing. So that's really what we're doing. We're improving the fatigue resistance to ensure that that muscle, as long as you're awake and you're upright, you don't need your soleus muscle if you're lying down. But if you're sitting or standing, you need that soleus muscle. And if you're upright for 16 hours a day, that muscle has to contract for 16 hours a day. And if not, your legs are gonna to start to swell, you're gonna develop varicose veins, you're gonna develop joint pain, all this fluid is going down into your legs. And correspondingly, because all that fluid's in your legs, it's not getting back to your heart and it's not getting up to your brain. And so you're gonna start over time developing what we call cognitive aging. Memory function is gonna to start to lapse, executive function, motor function. So there's a set of conditions, health conditions associated with fluid moving into your lower body. And then there's a set of health conditions because fluid is not moving through your upper body. And so we're addressing both of those. There's a fairly large number of health concerns. I mean, essentially, it looks like the symptoms look like heart failure because your heart is not pumping out enough blood, but there's really nothing wrong with your heart. It's just that no fluid's coming back. There's nothing to pump out. So then you start developing and, and we'll talk to many people who have symptoms of heart failure and they put them in a hospital, they'll work them up. They'll spend two days doing a workup and say, your heart's just fine. But when they do a cardiac workup, the person is lying down. And when you're lying down, your heart's gonna work just fine. They need to do cardiac workups with you standing. And then you get a whole different set of results. Well, let me ask another question. I mean, if I having trouble finding my way from my car to my front door, I know I've got a problem, but there's a whole lot of, you know, there's a lot of people, as you implied, who are generally okay, but cognitive aging has begun to set in and it started. How do you know, what are your symptoms on various, whether it's Alzheimer's, dementia, a variety of kinds? What do you look for to say, wow, I, you know, because I, I think a lot of people might feel good and say, I'm fine, but that's not always the case, right? That is correct. Okay. And so there's two approaches we have to that. The easiest approach is to ask the, the spouse or the caretaker, you know, somebody that lives with them, the individual's children, their wife, their husband, and they know, they see the changes long before the individual. We adapt to where we are. We think we're all doing great. And the spouse will say, everything I say to him, he 
doesn't understand or you know doesn't remember or whatever the case may be. So that's a good sign. And very often it is the ch children saying, you know, dad just keeps repeating the same stories over and over again. It's somebody around the individual will notice the cognitive changes. What we tend when they, they come into our clinic, what we tend to look for are early markers of second heart failure. Do they have swollen ankles and feet? Do they have varicose veins? Do they have nighttime leg cramps? Do they uh, have any sign of fluid pooling? Are their hands and feet cold all the time? Those are all signs that fluid is not being returned to your heart. And so we can see that right there in front of us, you know, within minutes. We don't have to know the person because obviously we can't know the person, but somebody's known them for years, we'll see the cognitive decline. Now, what we can also do is we can do cognitive screening. We use a, a computer-aided device that screens, does 10 screening tests, motor control, memory on executive function. And uh, so we have normalized scores and we can get a pretty good sense. The other thing we can look at, which is a pretty good marker, maybe an excellent marker, is your diastolic blood pressure. So you go to the doc and he takes your your blood pressure and there's two numbers, right? 120 over 80, right. the magic numbers. So that lower number is called diastolic blood pressure. We have found as that diastolic blood pressure goes below 80 millimeters of mercury, there's probably an issue with fluid return to the heart. And so we'll look at that and we'll see some very low numbers. We'll see numbers in the 50s. And those people are have a real issue with cardiac output. So there's a number of measures we can do right in the clinic, you know, right in the shop, but often it is a loved one that is noticing something is wrong. And so that's, um, so we have two avenues. We can have physiologic approach or behavioral approach to identify those. And we wanna catch people early. We don't want to be trying to reverse Alzheimer's. Not even clear we can reverse Alzheimer's, but mild cognitive aging or mild cognitive impairment, it's called MCI, we have shown in, in clinical testing is reversible. It's reversible. Uh, it's not it's just reversible. stopping it, it's reversible. Flowing, it's reversible, correct. So, and then we have really haven't done the testing on advanced dementia or you know cognitive aging, but that is something we're ramping up. But certainly the earlier you catch it, the better. You can slow, not only can you slow it down, stop it, you can indeed reverse it, we have found. So what you're saying is you're getting in your 60s, 70s and further up, you're probably like most conditions people of this age have are suffering some issues, whether you realize it or not. Cognitive impairment is probably one of those things. And this device is there to help reverse mild cognitive impairment and maybe prevent various forms of dementia and other things, improve your health overall. Yes, it is believed that kind of the current working hypothesis is, is it's progressive, that we go from mild cognitive impairment, you know, more, you know, severe impairment, dementia, and then uh, and Alzheimer's. So we do want to stop it. I mean, and then that's really the focus in much of Alzheimer's research now is not how we can treat it. And yes, there are drug companies that are trying to develop drugs to reverse Alzheimer's, but even drugs that seem to eliminate the beta amyloid, which is believed to be closely linked to Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's doesn't get better. You can remove the beta amyloid, but the Alzheimer's doesn't improve. So everybody right now is focused on how do we prevent the progression towards Alzheimer's? And that's where we're focused. So we do want to catch it early as soon as you start noticing issues. And as you say, it's an overall health thing. Probably 30, 40% of people over 65 have nighttime leg cramps. 
it seems to have nothing to do with cognitive aging, and yet they are linked, okay, due to a lack of uh, fluid return from the lower body. And so if you use the device to get rid of your nighttime leg cramps, without even realizing it, you're probably reducing your risk of developing cognitive aging. So it's nice that there's these lower body effects, the leg swelling, the varicose veins, the nighttime leg cramps, the cold hands and feet. And you say, well, that's the, that's what I'm noticing. You know, my hands are cold all the time. You told me a story about a lady who got this, she was concerned about her varicose veins, and you put her on the soleus, and what happened? Yes. We call the device, by the way, the heart partner. The heart so, partner. That's yeah. Right. So she started using the heart partner, and I called her for a follow-up. Does that ever come in to look at her varicose veins? And she goes, oh, I don't care about my veins. And I go, what do you mean you don't care about your veins? You're in a vein study. And she said, I have so much energy. She said, I have energy like I haven't had in a decade. And I love to ski. I haven't skied in 10 years, but I'm going skiing this winter. I've joined a gym. I'm going exercising um, every other day. And so, of course, you know, we're increasing cardiac output, resting cardiac output by 30 to 50%. I mean, that's huge. That's a gives people a lot of energy that they didn't used to have. So um, yes, that was one of the you know early indicators that we were doing you know much more than just moving fluid you know out of the lower body. That by moving that back to the heart and infusing the upper body tissues, and particularly the brain, is really where the market was. Well, it's we're talking by the way to Dr. Ken McLeod, CEO of Synostics, produces the Heart Partner which uh, helps the second heart, the soleus muscle, pump the blood back up to the brain and reduces uh, all kinds of issues that stem from cognitive impairment, uh, You often in older people. So let me ask you, I know the story. Uh, first of all, how old is the company, Ken? The company formed in uh, 2014. Well, I know you had an interesting story because you didn't start out working on dementia. You didn't start out working on a lot of these areas. Tell us how you started this. It's a tortuous story, but I think it's typical that technology companies start somewhere and end somewhere else. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I was working in the field of orthopedics and we were trying to understand uh, osteoporosis, age-related bone loss. So here I'm an electrical engineer working in bone loss in older individuals. And in particular, we're concerned about older women who tend to lose quite a bit of bone mass when they go through the menopause. And the reason I was working on that is that a, a group at University of Pennsylvania had demonstrated that um, fluid flow in bone gives rise to stream, what are called streaming currents, electrical streaming currents. And, the, and this was pretty interesting because way back in the 1890s, a guy named Julius Wolf was trying to explain how bones adapt to usage. So if you look at a tennis player, for example, their um, serving arm is quite a bit larger. The bone of their serving arm is quite a bit larger than their uh, contralateral arm. The bone is bigger, not just the muscles. Right. No, the bone is bigger. Yes. And so the question, okay. where, did, how, where does that come from? And Wolf argued that the mechanical loading of the bone you know, gave rise through some process that wasn't understood, made the bone grow to, to greater dimensions. And so we were trying to figure out what is that mechanism? And of course, you bend bone, it's fluid filled, it's the, that fluid is salt water, that salt water flows, that gives rise to electrical currents. And so is this an electrical phenomenon? 
So that's where I came in as an electrical engineer saying, you know, can we explain this bone adaptation through an electrical process of some sort? So we started out looking at, you know, the fluid flow patterns. And what we found is that where the mechanical loads were greatest, bone did not grow. But where the mechanical strain gradients were greatest, fluid did flow, of course, and that's where the electrical currents would be great. So we were trying to impose electrical currents to get bone to grow. We were mechanically loading tissue to get bone to grow. So we developed a device that we asked individuals to uh, stand on this device. And the idea was we'd basically shake people that would impose mechanical loads in their hip, in their spine, and we could create these um, streaming currents and we could affect bone mass because that's really where people break. They have spinal fractures, they have hip fractures, and those are the main things. Wrist fractures are common, but certainly hip and spine fractures are the focus of, of osteoporosis research. So we really didn't know what we're doing. And I think it's, it's a really important lesson, you know, in the whole world of innovation is that you never know what you're doing. So you just got to start doing something. It's really important to do. And then you learn by doing. You're going to get a result that surprises you, that is counter to the consensus belief. And then you need to run with it. So we ran with it by building this device and uh, the people could stand on. As it turns out, no mechanical loads made it up to the hip and spine, minuscule loads. And so it was just kind of a dead end, except for the fact that in testing some of the women we were testing, they would be standing on this device and they would say, I'm getting really dizzy. And we'd say, well, then sit down, you know? And so they'd sit down, they'd say, okay, I'm fine now. They'd stand up, whatever. And then one day this woman goes, I'm getting really dizzy, but right at that point I'd turned the device on and she said, oh, I'm fine now. And I go, that's very odd. And I turned the device off and she goes, I'm getting really dizzy. And I turned the device on, she goes, I'm fine now. I did this three or four times. I go, what the heck is going on here? And so I didn't understand any of this, but, uh, you know, kind of a classic serendipitous discovery and all discoveries are tend to be serendipitous. It seems I went down to talk to the uh, chair of anatomy. I said, do you have any idea what's going on? And he, you know, told me about fluid pooling and the soleus muscle is responsible for making sure that, uh, the fluid gets back up to your heart so you can maintain blood flow to the brain. And of course, all of the balance and dizziness, that's all brain oriented. He goes, I don't know much about it, but there's a guy up at Westchester Medical Center. That that's all he does. He just does, you know, soleus muscle. He works on young women who have a condition called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. These young women, and fortunately they tend to outgrow the condition, but not only can they not stand up, they can barely sit up. I mean, they have, they spend much of their life lying down because they, you know, have very low cardiac output when they're upright. So anyway, I went to visit Julian Stewart and he taught me all about the soleus muscle. And we ended up doing numerous experiments together and published papers together. He taught me everything I know basically about the soleus muscle. And so, uh, you know, the take home there is talk to everybody. You know, when you get in a bind, talk to everybody. I know a lot of young people will say, someone's going to steal my idea. Nobody's going to steal your idea. You can ask them to steal your idea and they're not going to steal it. <laughs> Just, hey, there, you know, I often tell my students, there's two kinds of people. There's those who have no clue what to do with your idea. 
and they're not going to steal it because they don't know what to do with it. And then there's a group of people that know exactly what to do with your idea, but they have 10 other good ideas of their own. And they would much rather spend the time on their ideas than on your idea. So never worry about people stealing your idea. It's <laughs> my philosophy. You've had a long career as an entrepreneur. I mean, you started out in automotive after you were at, uh, at GMI, and then you were professor of orthopedics at, at Stony Brook. Then you moved into biomedical engineering and then for many years, systems engineering at, at Binghamton, but through all that time or a lot of the last few decades, you've been starting companies, correct? Yes, I think overall, I added it up once. I think it's 12 companies. You know, several went public, several went belly up. You know, you make mistakes. They all, all ideas aren't great ideas. Some great ideas, I still think they're great ideas, but you have to figure out a way to commercialize them. I mean, in, invention's one thing, implementation's another, and implementation is much more difficult than invention. Right. The vast majority, I should look, I meant to look it up before we talked today, but I would guess well under 1%, maybe 0.1% of patents are ever commercialized. Um, people just can't figure out how to turn them into a product. So my share of failures, but as long as you're learning from your failures, you're okay. So at any rate, yeah. So that's, well, that's kind of where, where it started and um, led to a, you know, a whole different understanding of you know, what's going on with like osteoporosis. So, you know, we couldn't figure if it's where the fluid is flowing due to mechanical loading, you would expect very unusually shaped bones, but bones tend to be like long bones are quite cylindrical. So what's, you know, why would we see this nice symmetric pattern if it's, you know, where the strain gradients are greatest? And of course, that led us to the hypothesis that, wait a second, yes, fluid flows within the bone, around the bone, but it flows across the bone as well. Blood supply comes into the interior of the bone, the marrow cavity, and on the outside of the bone is what we call interstitial pressure out by the muscle. And so there's a gradient across the bone from the inside to the outside. If fluid is pooling into your lower legs, into your lower body, the interstitial pressure is gonna rise, the blood pressure is gonna drop, and you've lost the gradient across the bone. And so the nutrient flow decreases. And so what you want to do is pump that interstitial fluid out. That is going to increase blood pressure. You're going to increase that gradient and you're going to increase the nutrient flow across the bone. You should increase bone density. And we ran a clinical trial and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And but around two and a half, three hours a day of use, women actually gain bone density over time rather than losing it. So it was a confirmation of that, that working hypothesis. So that's the backstory. That's where we started. But of course, in the meantime, several drug companies came up with drugs to treat osteoporosis. And why not just pop a pill every day rather than spend two or three hours, you know, using the heart partner. So that market disappeared. But that's okay, because we're reducing fluid pooling in the lower legs, we're increasing blood pressure, and blood flow out of the heart. And that created all sorts of potential markets for the technology that we never thought about. And so I wouldn't say we walked away from osteoporosis, but it no longer became the focus. And we started thinking about, you know, where, where can we do the most good? And of course, at, at about that same time, you know, the concern with uh, the, the kind of the epidemic of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's related dementia became a major issue. And so we drifted in that direction, so. And you've got all the baby boomers 85 million baby boomers, right? And so, well, tell me a little bit about where you can get one, how much they cost, 
where they're available. And I think you told me you're, you're developing a new uh, version of it. So tell me about where, you know, there's people yes. who say, I want to get one. What do they do? Okay. Well, it's easy to get one. You go to the Synostics website. Spell that for us so people know it. S-O-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. Synostics. Yeah, synostics.com. And you can buy one online, you know, easily enough. GMI alumni should say, hey, I'm a GMI alumni. And, you know, say, you should give me a discount. And my sales manager will probably give you a discount. But uh, yeah, so they're easy to buy online. The list price is $7.99. What we're doing now is we're working with Medicare. For those who are covered by Medicare, they could get 80% of the cost covered. But the typical cost for maintaining someone who has Alzheimer's or Parkinson's associated dementia is about 50,000 a year, which is why Biogen priced their Alzheimer's drug at 50,000 because they said it's the same cost um, as what it costs people to maintain someone with dementia. So $800 is a pretty good bargain in that context. It's quite a bargain. Yes, it and is. And then if you get the Medicare, that knocks you down to 160. Yeah. And is that viable right now? Can you get no, your Medicare no, we'll cover it? We're going through the paperwork, I guess you could say, to get that approved. So hopefully by summer, we'll be able to uh, charge 80% of that cost to Medicare. That's our goal. And I know there's a new website to buy it at heartpartnerstore.com. I think a lot of people may have not heard of this, heard of the soleus muscle. Their doctor hasn't, you know, I certainly go to the doctor like anybody else. Before I started talking to you, I never really heard about the soleus muscle, what it did, the second heart, what this uh, urgency was. Are there many people that are alerted to this? Are there other people focusing on this? Uh, Why have we not heard that much about it? If the physician was trained in Europe or Asia, it's likely they've heard about it. They wouldn't necessarily know about technology to improve your soleus muscles, but they will know about the role of the um, of the calf muscle pump. American trained docs are told about the calf muscle pump. They say when you're walking around, the calf muscle pump pumps blood back up to your heart. But then you say, well, what happens if you're sitting? I mean, I don't walk for 16 hours a day. What if I'm sitting or standing? And they go, well, I haven't thought about that. So you're right. U.S. trained docs don't tend to know too much about the second heart. There's a classic book written in the 90s by a guy called Raoul called uh, Human Cardiovascular Control, which is all about the soleus muscle. It's a, it's a great text. It's the definitive text. And I don't think anything's been written since then, but that's certainly the definitive text on it. So the physiologists probably know more about it than physicians because you can't treat it with a drug. You know, it's an exercise modality. Physical therapists are perhaps a little bit more aware of it than uh, general practitioners. But you're right. It's not part of the medical school. Even when I was teaching medical school at uh, Stony Brook, I was told this is not on the board exam. So you can cover it for a few minutes if you want, but don't focus on it because, you know, you're focusing on board exam questions. So the um, so you're absolutely right. It's a big part of a big task for us is the educational part. Now, people love the story. Once you tell them the story, they get it. They go, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, how does blood get back up from your feet? So most people have kind of asked themselves that question or pondered it in some way. Our heart is very high. We're very tall animals and our heart is very high in our body. And so if you look at a dog or a horse or anything, their heart is very low in their body and their skin is very taut and our skin is very loose. So we have uh, the ability to pull a huge amount you know, we only have five liters of blood. 
in our body. And you can pull five liters into your legs very easily. So all of the blood in our body could go down and would go down into our legs if we're not careful. And in cases of like paraplegia, where you've lost the musculature in your legs um, and you can't pump, we tend to amputate the legs to make sure that you don't pull into the legs or you'll just die when you're in a, sitting in a wheelchair. So there's a big educational component here, without question. Will it um, help those people? Will it help the paraplegics who... Yes, because they can't pull them. They could pull down in their buttocks and you know that's an issue. But so it depends kind of what level do you still have muscle action? Well, it's a fascinating story and one that's sort of a, a medical outlier, at least in terms of people's awareness of it, I think. I appreciate uh, your sharing it with us. And the product is the Heart Partner. And yep. it's about pumping blood from your lower, lower extremities back up to your heart and assisting the muscle, the soleus muscle that does that. And by virtue of that, uh, helping get blood to your brain. And we all know how important that is with preventing and stopping Alzheimer's and all other kinds of dementia and problems with that. Well, Dr. Ken McLeod, it's always fascinating to talk with you about entrepreneurship, about terraplanes, about heart partners. And uh, I just think about being, you know, a biomedical engineer, an electrical engineer, a serial entrepreneur. So thank you very much. I, uh, I still want us to get you back to uh, Kettering to talk to students. So I hope you'll come back and uh, thanks for your time today. It's a real pleasure, Tim. Thank you for the invite. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.